Hi, my name is Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to the Deep Dark Secrets podcast, where we shine a bright light in some very dark places. Our episode today will be slightly different than what we've done before in season one. That's right, because today we're going to talk about someone who's very important to the world of death fetish. Her name is Jessica Brown. And LaDonna and I have actually had quite a bit of contact with Jessica since we started our investigation into the death fetish community over a year ago. For those of you who have read our book, Strangled, Jessica Brown is a character in our book. Jessica openly admits to being the owner of a death fetish site called Deadly Desires, formerly known as Fet Noir. She's been slithering around the internet under a variety of monikers, actually, So not just Jessica Brown, but she also is responsible for Necro Girl X, Snuff Princess, Jessica X, and even the Vermilion Strangler. (laughs) Yeah, that was like a big mystery for a while. We couldn't figure out who the Vermilion Strangler was. And then we were finally able to snatch her IP address from one of these horrible emails Can you give a little overview? Like what kinds of things did the Vermilion Strangler like to send you through email? It was all really creepy, but it was basically information about the Melissa Witt murder investigation. The Vermilion Strangler wanted to drop some hints about who they think could be responsible and perhaps what she had gone through, how the murder had taken place, how they had potentially stalked her. It was all very creepy and disturbing details that I found it very strange that someone felt the need to share with me. And it was written in such a manner, I believe, so they could intimidate me, perhaps scare me. And it it went on for some time until we were, you know, finally able to say, hey, we know who you are, Vermilion Strangler. And then of course, poof, Just like everything else that happens in the death fetish forum, when you call them out, the Vermilion Strangler disappeared. I remember when you were first getting these emails, you would read them to me over the phone, and I just couldn't shake the feeling that could have been Melissa's killer writing you, sort of admitting in this very sly, anonymous way how they had done some of these things. And that's not to say that Jessica Brown is Melissa's killer. I'm definitely not saying that. I just think that it was written in a fashion that was meant to intimidate and scare. Absolutely. And I think if it was not meant in that fashion to intimidate and scare, like you mentioned, I think it was meant to be a mockery kind of poke fun at my work, your work, and the investigation. And neither thing is okay. Either way, she should have never tried to insert herself into our lives or into the investigation. That's my opinion. It just seems like such a strange thing to do. So LaDonna, would you mind telling our listeners just a little bit more about what your experience has been with this Jessica Brown? Oh boy. I know the listeners can't see me, but I'm cracking my knuckles over this one. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, where do I begin? The short of it is this. I first came in contact with Jessica Brown several months into our investigation into the death fetish community. As fate would have it, Jessica X snagged my IP address inside one of the death fetish forums and began to send me this series of strange emails under various names. 
but that wasn't enough for Jessica. She then proceeded to dox me in various death fetish forums across the web, giving out my name, the place that I worked, and all kinds of details about me. That's super scary. And then for her to go on and dox you in these dangerous death fetish forums was just above and beyond what any normal person should do. For those of you who don't know what doxing is, because that is a question we get a lot, doxing is when an individual takes personal information of someone and shares it in a public way. So when I'm talking about personal information, I mean your name, your phone number, your home address, private details about you, whether that's photographs, medical history, things that are not public knowledge. When somebody goes out of their way to share those details about you in a public space, that's doxing. And now's a good time to maybe add that one of the things that a lot of people do ask us about in terms of doxing, particularly people that have come at us from the death fetish community, is that they feel like perhaps we've doxed these producers in our episodes. And I think it's important to mention that that's not doxing. These producers have companies that are registered with a business license that's public and the information has come straight from what is readily available to the public. Information on a business license is a public record and so you can't really say that that's doxing because that information is readily available to anyone in the public. But the sorts of information that you would have to do a paid background check for or things like that, those are the pieces of sensitive information that it's actually illegal to share about people. So that's just good for people to know. And also scary to realize that Jessica Brown went ahead and took LaDonna's personal information, her home address, her phone number, and posted it inside of these death fetish forums. It's horrific. It is. And to quote a Taylor Swift song, if I may, I kept my receipts and my reasons with Jessica. And I have email documentation that proves that she actually did admit to running some background checks on me. So it's pretty clear that's where she got the information about me was from a background check. So with that said, I think I want to share a little bit more with the listeners about my experience with Jessica because it's just been less than ideal. The story just seems to never end. And right after she doxed me, the frequency of the content of her creepy emails that she was sending me began to escalate. And if it's okay, Alicia, I'd like to read one of those emails right now. Yeah, go for it. All right. It's just an excerpt of an email written in May of this year. Then yes, I directly own or provide the backend funding for a number of websites as well as production companies. I think what's been shared on documenting reality, cute dead guys, and gorgrish, to name three sites in that vein, has all been perfectly legal. But that's for the authorities to decide, isn't it? The same is true for Fet Noir, PKF Films, a company based out of Hong Kong that Knopf and Horror Man were asking about, and a couple of other enterprises. I went over all of this with Horror Man and Knopf. They couldn't obtain anything useful 
could never get any of the information released, never got access to the membership records, or anything like that. I value the privacy of members in these communities, and I think they have a right to discuss this stuff as much as they want. It's a shame these people can't understand this, and they want to paint some narrative that I'm a dangerous killer just because I have strangling and shooting fantasies and write some stories along those lines. Ooh, that email is pretty disturbing. Have you taken the chance to look up some of those sites that she's mentioning in the email? No, not beyond the front door of the site, so to speak. Unlike the forums we have infiltrated in the death fetish community, those sites actually show photos of real death scenes. Anything from car accidents to murder victims to men and women in a morgue. The content in there, there's no question about it being real. And there's definitely some moral issues that I have with even having to view that kind of content. But then I'm concerned as well about the legalities of that because I think that for a medical professional to be uploading photos like that, that certainly violates some HIPAA laws and I'm sure other laws as well. Right, all of the above. From the moral to the legal, think about the families that are involved. You know, if they knew that their loved one's death photos from a horrific car accident or some sort of murder was uploaded for the enjoyment or the sexual gratification of a fetisher, how disturbing, how, you know, devastating that would be for these families. I I hate that they exist. It's clear that Jessica doesn't have a problem with their content. And she even admits to having a financial stake in some of those websites. So here we have a second email that Jessica has sent where she confirms her involvement once again in these sites, but then she provides some interesting information. So there's a quote here. It says, it seems like between asking about some of these real life snuff websites and their ownership and my time spent in Arkansas, etc., we're not really heading down a path that's particularly in my favor. If the FBI, state police, or someone like that wants to pursue questions about these matters, and if they feel they have any viable information that I may have been involved with something illegal, we can cross that bridge at that time. But I don't see how my time in Arkansas in the 1990s, my interest in death fetishes, my liking of strangling, or my involvement with certain websites and companies puts me in a favorable light. It doesn't really seem like it does. Between what I've told you now, under good faith, and the 35 minutes of audio I've provided, I think you have a lot to work with. What you pursue after that is up to you. I think I said this in Strangled, and I'll say it again here. What we pursue after this is up to us, Jessica. She is trying to interject herself into the investigation whether that's legitimate or, like I mentioned earlier, a mockery. But it's still concerning. And I think that we have an obligation for the Wit case, but we also have an obligation because of the investigation we're doing into the death fetish community that we see this all the way through and find out why Jessica has made these statements. That's how I feel, Alicia. What about you? Yeah, I do feel that way as well. In our research, we've been able to find a short bio that describes Jessica Brown. In July 2021, Jessica appeared as a guest on a podcast that's called Yeah, Uh Uh-huh. 
And here's what that bio said about her. Jessica is a decorated veteran of the National Guard, a trusted DVA slash technical advisor to a small company, a holder of multiple degrees, an expert in the world of computer gaming, and she's contributed to a couple successful technical podcasts and online business interests. Most impressively, Jessica is a mother to an amazing little girl. Her resume is clearly impressive, and it kind of supports a statement that we continue to make during this season, which is just that a death fetisher can really be anybody, even a decorated veteran of the National Guard. That's why I think it's so important to discuss Jessica today. I also just want the listeners to know that Jessica has provided us audio recordings of her talking about this. She's given us permission to use them in any way that we'd like. And so I don't feel bad at all about discussing her in a public way. Me either. And I'm shocked that she provided us with almost 40 minutes of audio of herself discussing her own life and how it intersects with death fetish. So Alicia, if you're okay with it, I would really like to play a portion of that audio for our listeners. Yeah, I think that it's important for our listeners to hear it for themselves. Well, with that said, World Meet Snuff Princess, a.k.a. Jessica X. My name is Jessica. People in the death fetish community will know me as Necro Girl X or Snuff Princess. And I consider this recording on the record. So I consider it fair game. I'm recording it. Uh, of my own free will. And I will do my best throughout the recording not to mention anyone by name, not to reveal anything personally identifiable about anyone that could be relevant here. So, every story has to have a beginning. And before we can get to any of the stuff about the recent events in the community, I think it's worth going into my own personal history with all of this stuff. Now, for me, my... Fantasies, I guess, probably date back to when I was about six or seven. Back then, I remember in elementary school and summer camp, I liked playing games with uh, some of the kids. Uh, stuff kind of like cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers. I liked the idea of you know being killed and then you know dragged around and um, you know handled, you know like that. Like I really liked that. It was just a silly game um, that you know we played. But it became sexual to me later, uh, when I was about 12. And I remember at the time seeing the movie Alien 3. In the movie, there's a scene where uh, a character named Newt, who's a a young girl, she dies. Uh, There's a morgue scene where uh, Ripley goes to the morgue to see her body. It's a very touching scene. You know, you get some nice little views, you know, like you can, there's nice uh, views of her feet, you know. Uh, I've made no illusions that I do like feet, so there's that. And then there was an autopsy scene. Seeing that, everything just kind of clicked. It was sort of an aha moment, you know, kind of an awakening, I guess. And so when I saw that, it wasn't even that I wanted to, um, you know, be someone seeing her body or handling her body. I was imagining myself as her. And you have to remember that I was actually born male. Now, I always had a very soft and feminine uh, body and, and other things, but I was technically born male, although never really felt 
fully in place with that gender. For me, it was actually, I wanted to be her. I wanted to be dead and have people, you know, looking at me, talking about me, handling my body. So that's what it became very sexual for me. After that, in the years, you know, as I got a little bit older, uh, when my parents would be out of the house, I would enjoy acting out little death scenes. So I'd like to imagine, you know, myself uh, imagining dying in different ways and then, you know, laying there pretending I'm dead. You know, I might even cover myself up and pretend I was in the morgue. So stuff like that, you know, and it was fun, um, very sexually arousing, but... I always thought it was really strange, so I kind of kept all those fantasies to myself. But then one day, when I was in high school, I happened to go online, and I guess I typed in something like Woman Morgue or something like that, and I came up with the website Necrobabes. And it was really eye-opening. Like, I had no idea other people really fantasized about this stuff, and so when I went to the Necrobabes website, you know, I saw people posting all these uh, photos, you know, of where they hired models to play dead and pretend, you know, they were killed, strangled, shot, you know, whatever. Um, then there was, like, examinations in a morgue, you know, and funeral stuff. It was amazing to me that other people were actually thinking about this stuff. And then there was actually a forum, you know, associated with the website where people were discussing all this stuff. Now, at the time, I was only 15, so I did not actively participate, but... You better believe it really worked me up. Um, it was very erotic to me to, um, you know, see all that stuff and to see that there was a community based around these interests. And there was another site I saw, too, at the same time. It was called Rob's Necrophilia Fantasy. And that site's a little bit edgier, I guess, because it was a place where this guy named Rob was talking about his fantasies about death and you know, body handling, all of this stuff. But he took it a little bit further because he actually did interviews with funeral directors and pathologists and, you know, you know, detectives, people that worked in the death industry. And it just gave a different side of things. He wanted to make a point of saying, this is what happens in real life, and these are fantasies that I have. So those two sites were pivotal for me. These fantasies were very cathartic to me because I was imagining myself as the dead girl. These things aren't just an interest in death play. I mean, to me, it's much greater. It has to do with my identity as a person. So there's a lot to unpack there. Now, fast forward a little bit. So in the years since finding Necrobabes, as I said, I'd, I would keep up with the community, but I never was an active participant. Then in 2008, I actually started actively participating, posting things, you know, messaging people, those sorts of things. Because that's when the website Dark Fetishnet appeared. And Dark Fetishnet was cool. It was actually kind of like Facebook. I mean, they kind of set, set itself up as like a social media for kinksters, you know, at Dark Fantasy. So I, I met a lot of cool people. And one of them, interestingly enough, was the guy who claims that he founded Necrobabes way back in the day. Joe Schwallenberg. Or sometimes he goes by just Joe S. in different communities, but... Joe, um, he, you know, started messaging me and we started chatting and he mentioned some of his fantasies and I found out we had a lot in common. And he mentioned a website called Fet Noir. And this was in 2014. And he told me about Fet Noir and he said, it's a really neat website. Uh, he met the current owner at the time, which was Grace X. And, you know, eventually I said, okay, you know, I'll check it out. So I had an account on there for a number of years. Um, 
And I took a break in 2017, about a year and a half off, and returned. I eventually rejoined Fit Noir. Um, stuck away from, from Dark Fetish Net, because this site really went downhill. Had a lot of degenerates, you know, some people that were into some bad stuff and were exceptionally rude. Um, so, skipped rejoining that one. But rejoined Fent Noir, and, you know, it, things kind of evolved from there. Grace X was going through some issues, you know, in 2019. So eventually, by early 2020, uh, I had become an owner of the site. Then we have to fast forward now to the events of 2021, because that's when things, you know, get interesting. I, so in 2021, there was an issue. Now, the whole thing started because some people got a series of emails from something called Stop Violent Porn and a person named Christina Brown. Christina was making accusations saying that there were producers in the industry that were possibly guilty of crimes. We said, okay, maybe there's truth here. And let's see what this Christina person says because Christina said, oh, I'm going, going to release something uh, in October. And on her website, there were actually screenshots of, you know, different posts and things like that from Fet Noir and Femme Fatalities. So we said, okay, well, obviously they do have some people embedded in the site that they're taking screenshots. You know, it's obvious. Uh, so we took it very seriously. And then also some people started having trouble. So all this stuff started happening. And when we were thinking about it, you know, we, we kind of wanted to reopen Fet Noir because what we did actually was we temporarily locked the site down. We didn't delete it or anything. We just locked it down and we said, let's see where all this goes. Um, because maybe, you know, maybe it'll all blow over. You know, who knows? And uh, But eventually we effectively said, well, it's just not worth the risk um, to these other people. We don't want other people being harassed, losing their jobs, you know, all this other stuff because someone's on some war path. So we ended up closing the site. I mean, it wasn't something we wanted to do. We figured, well, we might be able to reopen it sometime later. But, you know, we ended up pulling the domain, all that stuff, and just shutting it down because we figured that was the best decision. Again, the interest was in protecting other people. You know, Tostig, who's a good friend of mine, he run, or ran a website called Amazon Warriors Fans, which is a fan site. So he had a forum and all this stuff set up. But same thing with him. He, he, he had chose to pull it down because he said, well, we have fetish models that are um, members here. And we don't want them to be harassed by this. So he made a decision to close the site. So that's why the site closed. Uh, it was because of all that. It wasn't because we had something to hide. We don't post real life death photos. You know, that's not what this is about. So everything on the site would be, you know, clips from movies and fetish films, um, stories written by people, you know, 3D artwork and things like that. Everything is on the up and up. I mean, someone may not agree with what's being discussed and that's its own issue, but we say, okay, you know, don't post real snuff photos, anything like that. We make it very clear so that way people understand. Because there are sites you can go to. If you want to look at real death, then you can go to Documenting Reality. You can go to Cute Dead Guys, which has plenty of dead girl content. You can go to Gorgrish. You can go to the YNC. You can go to uh, numerous other sites. I mean, there's a lot. There's deadhouse.org and all these other places. If you really want to see that, it's out there. Now, some people would debate and they'd say, well, that's terrible content. And maybe it is. I'm not here to debate that. But what I would say is it's free speech in most cases because I, I'll admit, and I've been open about this with people in the community, 
I do have memberships on Documenting Reality, Cute Dead Guys, Gorgrish, you know, other sites um, beyond those. I have, I do have memberships. And sometimes, yes, I see some stuff that, okay, I can't deny that it could be sexy in the right context. And then it inspires fantasies of mine. So I can take something real and something dark and take that and make it mine and have fun with it. So that's where my interest in the real communities come from. I would say that if you spent time on documenting reality, you would see people who see a photo of a you know, naked dead woman and their comment would be, wow, she has a great ass. I'd love to her. That's the person you need to be afraid of. That's the weirdo who obviously has ulterior motives and is, you know, not a good person. So I think there's a huge difference between that type of community, which has a lot of unseedy, uh, you know, unsavory people, and the fantasy community, which I don't think it does. I think if we're going to look at numbers, I think it's more of 1% to 2% of people uh, could be problematic. But you be careful who you, who you talk to. Get to know people. I mean, no one should be sitting here giving out their personal information to someone they just met. It doesn't matter really whether it's a fetish group or um, a football website. I mean, you wouldn't sit here and say, oh, you know, here's my real name, here's my address, all this other stuff, because that's dangerous. Now, obviously, in a dark fantasy community, you might say that the nature of the community could breed negativity, could bring out the wrong sort of people, where this 1% is actually even more dangerous. My opinion has always been that these sorts of communities are giving people an outlet. There seems to be an obsession with female death, and it's like a culture that's become obsessed with glorifying at some level, you know, revering the sexy dead girl. They're giving them a way to explore these different things in a wholesome way. It's just our artistic expression, I guess. Anyway, so that's my opinion on that one. But now going back to the issue at hand. Now, there's a lot of harassment that started. A lot of people started getting emails from strange email aliases. Uh, there was one person, uh, you know, a Jeff Rogers person that people thought, oh, maybe he worked for the National Enquirer. And, I mean, weird stuff. One of them was Vermilion Strangler. They all, sometimes they have a different narrative voice that so led us to believe there's different people maybe writing some of these. We finally narrowed it down. We figured out that a lot of this was actually due to a person uh, named Horror Man in the community. And I won't mention his real name because uh, that would be inappropriate. But to tell you a little bit about Horror Man, He's a longtime member of the community, has been on various sites, including Dead Skirts, uh, Femme Fatalities, you know, so on. And years and years ago, he couldn't really get in touch with Grace X, so he kind of fixated, I guess, on me and some others that he could get to. He harassed other people because he flagged them on DeviantArt and like Pixiv and other sites and got some of their accounts reported and shut down. Yeah, you know, he just wanted to make people's life hell. He's caused so much havoc. I mean, he still comes on to Femme Fatalities, and he's probably on other sites under different assumed aliases. And this isn't a person who's on some moral crusade on a high ground trying to expose corruption. I mean, this is someone that's, let's say, maladjusted and has a lot of issues. And that's the people we need to watch out for, someone like him. He's in that 1% I mentioned that's very uh, problematic, very dangerous, perhaps. You know, so... That's the thing with Horror Man, and I thought I'd settled things with him back around January of this year. 
So I told him, don't contact me any further, you know, this is it now. Like any, any further, I'll consider it harassment. And it worked for about three months. And then he started something again with another fake account. But Horror Man did a lot of damage to the community. If nothing else, you know, all this stuff, we shut down a couple sites, you know, some people lost places to share stuff. You know, it's made a lot of people uneasy. It's put people at each other's throats. I mean, there's a lot of distrust now. I mean, Horror Man is not the only bad apple. Uh, you know, there's there's a few others. But, again, I stick by the point that they're, like, in the 1%. Now, obviously, if you're talking about tens of thousands of people, then 1% is not an insignificant number. I mean, 1% of 100,000 is 1,000 people that could be bad. So, that's what I'm going to say on the record. What I will say, though, is I don't think... There's much to look at in terms of like trying to make a narrative that death fetish stuff uh, leads to dangerous behavior. I just don't think it does. You know, there was the Necrobabes murders back, um, I guess it was in the 2000s. And at the time, you know, it was very sensational. If you look up Joe, Joe Schwallenberg, you can read about the trials. I mean, there's two uh, murders that were linked back to members that had belonged to Necrobabes. It wasn't like Necrobabes was responsible for it. You know, I've never seen evidence of that while I've been involved with this community directly. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, but I'm happy to answer any additional questions you have. Um, but I wanted to get all this out there on the record so you would know my perspective of it um, and have a positive perspective instead of a, a more negative one. Alicia, after listening to her audio again, I think it's pretty evident that Jessica wants us to understand and even sympathize with her death fetish. Absolutely, she does. She wants the whole world to be convinced and believe, as most fetishers do, that these fantasies are normal and safe, and I just don't agree with it. I think she even used the word wholesome. She absolutely did. She has said in this audio, and she said it in multiple emails to me, that this is completely normal. These people are fine. They're not murderers in the making. There's nothing to be worried about. Essentially, I'm just wrapping it all up in a nice little bow. I find it very interesting that she took the time to say that some people on Dark Fetish Net were really bad people and that she couldn't get behind what they were doing over there on that site. She is able to recognize that some people on that website are, you know, perhaps dangerous or frightening, but couldn't be any of the other people on the other death fetish forums that she has business deals with. That's what I was going to say. It's selective recognition based on you know, who's showing her the money or what producers she's funding or what sites that she's financially funding. And that, that's not an assumption I'm making. Those are things that she has said to us in multiple emails and in different text message conversations that I've had with her. And I just have to be real with everybody. Listening to this audio at this point in the game for us is enraging because she's so full of bullshit. Like so many of the things that she's talking about, I know to be lies. It's a very interesting little web she's spinning here, hoping that the public will hear her and believe her and, you know, think that she's just this innocent, logical person in all of this. 
She says that she would never share anyone's personal information, but just this week I was poking around the Deadly Desires Discord server and I found a post where she had shared a background check of mine on the website for all of the death fetish people to see. So these people now have my maiden name, every physical address I have ever lived at, names of my family members, names of old employers, my phone number, my current address. She's sharing that information with all the people on these forums, and I think she's doing it with bad intentions. Absolutely she is. I hope the fetishers don't feel that they're immune because I have emails email proof with headers, everything that they need, that Jessica X has also named names. She's given us the identity of XJ900UK. She's talked openly about the owner of Prince's Horror website. There is nothing, nothing that she won't say or do. She's loyal to only herself. Another thing that is really hard for me to hear in that recording is just her continuing to kind of side skirt being truthful about why Fet Noir needed to come down as a website. If nothing legal was going on there, why did it need to come down? In this recording, she's saying that it needed to come down because of some organization named Stop Violent Porn or because of Horror Man. It's very hard for me not to wonder if Stop Violent Porn was something that she created herself as an excuse as to why Fet Noir needed to come down. And for people who haven't read our book, Fetnoir was a forum that we were allowed access into. And when some of the owners of the forum at the time had discovered that we were in there looking around, they became very uncomfortable. They did not want outsiders in their community seeing what was on this website. And they just pulled the whole thing down because they were scared of what an outsider might do with the information in there. They had to take it down for several months and rebrand it and put it up as a new website called Deadly Desires. And so we want to know, what did you need to take down all those months? Why did it take you so long to put it back up? In my opinion, they were scrubbing the damning information that could wind up in criminal charges is the only sensible thing here. Otherwise, there would be no reason to just say, hey, we're not doing anything wrong here. Like she's trying to sell us in this audio. And they would have popped Fet Noir back up just as it was. And they would have gone about their death fetishy business. But that's not what happened. I think that's very telling. I believe she made this recording to try to convince us and anybody else who is listening that there isn't anything illegal going on there. But we have screenshots of her telling people at the time that this happened that she would likely be serving some jail time <laughs> for the things that were on Fetmar and that she was sorry to the community for taking it down. But, you know, there was real danger of her serving jail time. So we know there was something on that website that was proof of her illegal activity. And if there isn't, then I invite her to pop Fet Noir back up, put all of the information back up where it's easily accessible. I don't know, maybe even hand over those files to the FBI. So just shoot that stuff over to the, to the authorities if there's nothing wrong with it. And we can just all go about our business. They're not going to do that though, Alicia. 
because something was going on with Fet Noir that they have to keep a secret. And we can only speculate on what that was. Was it child pornography? Was it a human trafficking ring? Were they selling dead bodies? Were they selling body parts? Were they selling illegal photos of dead bodies? We're not saying that we know what it was, but those are the things that come to mind because I can't imagine why else they would need to take it down. There was no reason to pull it down unless there was something going on there. And I will fight to the death about that because I believe it so strongly. I'm right there with you. The theme of everything that she's saying in her audio comes back to she wants us and the world to believe that the fetishers and their fantasies are normal and safe. And I invite her to tell that to the families of women like Jane Longhurst, Elaine O'Hara, Sharon Lapotka. These women were murdered, murdered by members of the death fetish community. That's not safe. That's not normal. That is horrific. And to sort of respond to something that Jessica said in her recording, she mentions that there were some murders where the murderer was a part of the death fetish community, was a part of Necrobabes, and she says that it wasn't found that it was Necrobabes' fault. And that's such an interesting statement because, of course, a website is not going to be found at fault for somebody going out and murdering. But you have to take into consideration that we're all very easily influenced creatures and our habits and our thoughts contribute to the things that we do every day. And so if you're spending hours and hours every day in Necrobabes or in some other death fetish forum, that's going to have an influence on you that slowly changes who you are and how you behave in the world. And I think that influence is very dangerous, as we can see in all these murder cases that we're covering here. You hit the nail on the head. It's that way for death fetish, but you can look at broader strokes here. Anything in life that you obsessively consume, and that's all you do all day, every day. It's like you said, it's going to heavily influence you and your decisions and your thought processes and everything about your psyche. And so when it's murder that's on your mind, and that's your obsession, there's nothing good that comes out of that. Not anything at all. I will keep fighting, just like you said, till the very end, until we can get some answers and we can put a stop to the death fetish community. Their communities normalize murder, and there's just no way around that. They're all there together as a group telling each other that it's okay to have these fantasies and feed into them and focus on them and obsess about them and to continue escalating in this process. Like a lot of these killers, they don't start out killing the day that they join the forums, but you know, four or five years down the road, all of a sudden, that's the next thing for them to do to get that excitement, that hit of dopamine or serotonin. You're exactly right. And I think something to remind the listeners of, and I say this, I think on every episode, but fetishers come in all shapes and sizes all kinds of educational and socioeconomic backgrounds, you can't pick them out of the crowd. You just can't. They could be anybody, anywhere, anyone. They can be successful in life like Jessica is. They can have many degrees. Despite seeming normal, looking normal, they're plagued by this dark secret that leads them to crave 
death in any way they can access it. Murder, murderous photos, movies, stories, online chats. What happens when that's no longer enough, Alicia? When it's no longer enough, they go out into the real world. And we have proof of this. There are judges during sentencing who say, I don't think that this person would have done this without these extreme pornographies, without these websites that they had access to. We have to keep shedding light on this topic. And I would like to add, too, that the fetishers, including Jessica, a lot of them know what they're doing is wrong and shameful. And we have an email from Jessica that was from October 2021, and it says, Now they do have my actual contact info, and they know that I'm the owner of Fetnoir, and so there very well may be someone trying to pursue charges against me under decency laws, which are strict in my part of the U.S., among other things. Boom. She knows. That's exactly what we've said all along, almost through every episode. We know that charges can be pursued for much of what is happening with some of these companies, with some of these websites, the producers, all of it. Jessica continues to adamantly deny that to anybody that will listen. But we've got actual paper proof in an email where she said something to the contrary. And we've also got proof that she's said it to the fetishers inside the forum. So they know in their secret forum, they're circling the wagons, Alicia. That's the way I envision it. To keep their secret, they're brooding over it. But to everybody else, oh, no, no, we're fine. It's all fine. It's just fantasy. It's just photos. It's, you know, it's just detective stories. That's all it is. It's just, it's lie after lie after lie to protect this desire, this yearning, this craving that these men and some women have for murder. And I'm so thankful that you went ahead and reported Jessica Brown to the FBI. And I look forward to seeing what they end up coming up with in their investigations. And I hope that we do get some sort of resolution to this because this is not okay. There's something very, very wrong happening here. I agree. And this is absolutely why we have to continue on this journey to expose the death fetish community. This world is dangerous. And even though the fetishers aren't going to admit it, these dark fantasies can and sometimes do lead to murder. And we will continue to shine that light on them shine that light on these communities, keep going to the FBI, go to the state police, go to local police departments until we see action being taken and this this stuff stop. We want death fetish and these communities to be shut down. And we're not shy about admitting that. And hopefully that enthusiasm is contagious. And it feels like it is. We've got people writing us amazing, encouraging emails every day saying that they're hoping that we stay safe and that what we're doing is amazing. And some people are even calling us heroes. And that's just, it's crazy to hear that. But when I stand back and look at this, it is just, it's something that needs to be done. And it's a scary thing to do. And I'm proud that we're taking that stand and doing this. And I'm also proud of our listeners for hanging in there with us and keeping track of all this drama and the twists and turns with these key players in this community, because it's a lot. It's a big thing that's happening, and I'm really excited to see where we're at in a few months with all of our advocacy work in this. So 
thank you so much to all of our listeners for supporting us in whatever way that you can, even if it's just you know, sharing things that we have on social media or hitting the like button. We love all the encouragement and all the support in any ways that we can get it from you. So thank you so much. That's right. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you have a deep, dark secret that you would like to share with us, you can visit us over at deepdarksecretspodcast.com. Hit the contact button and whisper your dark secret our way. We'll see you next Monday with a new episode. But until then, remember to keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.